Love and Radio. I don't know why I was so angry that morning. Very angry. My sister had taken me to Tim Hortons and I just couldn't stop comparing it with Dunkin' Donuts and the flaws were just striking. I think I said something like, this fucking place sucks. And I was like, why are we here? And she's, and my, my sister was like, I like Tim Hortons. And I was like, why, why the, the fuck, fuck would you, you like this, this place? <laughs> and I guess now, seen through the rose-colored lens of being in Canada, Tim Hortons has got a Canadian thing going on. I can kind of see why Tim Hortons is cool. When you're in Canada, everything's like, you're much more open to the, the idea of a subpar breakfast. But at that moment in Rochester, New York, I just, I hated it. Angry, angry. I don't know why I was so angry that morning. And I thought, why the hell would it, this, how did, you know, how could this chain even survive? I mean, she got, like, soup. 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 Who, who gets soup from a to-go, like, a fast food place? And my bagel was so small and just pathetic. I don't know why I was so angry that morning. My first experience with Tim Hortons made me very angry. 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 angry very angry. 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 good kid. I didn't get in trouble very much. One day in one of my classes, all of a sudden, one of the, one of the main security guys who, whose name was Billy Keys, everyone just referred to him as uh, Billy Keys. It was never Mr. Keys or Billy or any of that. It was Billy Keys and he hated it. So Billy Keys came to my class and started talking to my teacher at the time. Uh, my teacher turned to me and said, oh, Julian, Mr. Keys wants you to go with him. I was just kind of like, shit, you know, wait, what? Like, I don't, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. And uh, everyone in the class was kind of like, whoa, you know, what's going on, man, Julian? I went to Billy Keys and I was like, are you sure it's, it's me? And he said, yeah, your name is Julian James, right? I said, yeah, yeah, that's my name. He said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to come with me. Grab your stuff. I was like, shit, you know, God damn it. Like, I don't know, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what's happening. So I'm just kind of like, okay, whatever. While I'm going to, to grab my stuff, there's this kid that, that uh, I kind of knew. He wasn't a friend or anything, but I sort of knew just because I had a few classes with him. He kind of came up to me and was like, all right, when you go in there, you know, they're going to they're gonna ask you all these questions. Don't say anything. Don't, don't, don't say a goddamn thing. Just sit there and let them talk to you and let them do whatever. And then just tell them that, you know, you want your parents, call your parents and, you know, tell them your parents what's going on and don't, don't say anything. And so at this point, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like, what the, what the fuck is going on? Like, what, what are they going to do to me? You know, are they going to strap me up to, to like, you know, a, a lie detector? Or are they going to, you know, electrocute me and give me some electrical shocks or something like that? The whole time while I was walking me there, he has his walkie-talkie all of the all the security guards thought they were you know hot shit with their walkie talkies and so the whole time Billy Keys is uh, taking me to the administrative building and talking on his walkie talkie and he's you know saying stuff like you know I've retrieved the perp we'll meet at rendezvous point at 0300 alpha out and all this kind of stuff so he's, he's 
he's talking like, you know, he's, he's the top dog and he's some tough shit. And I'm just kind of like, Jesus, you know, what the, I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. So we finally, finally get to the rendezvous point, which is uh, one of the, the vice principal's offices. And they sit me down and I'm still wondering, you know, what's going on. And you could tell she was already pissed off at me for whatever I'd done. And she looks at me and she's like, did you see the fight? And uh, I sit there and I'm like, uh, what fight? You know, what are you, what are you talking about? And the thing is, I mean, you have to realize, Berkeley High, there are, there are fights every five minutes. So, you know, I probably did see a fight, but she was referring to a specific fight. And it's kind of like, oh, what do you, I don't know, I don't know. What fight? What are you talking about? And out of nowhere, she just starts going off on me. She's like, don't give me that shit. Don't give me that shit. I know you saw it. I know you saw it. I know, I know that you hit that kid over the head, and I'm just like, holy shit, like, what's going on? And, you know, obviously, I didn't, I didn't hit anybody over the head, so I was just going like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I think at this point, I made the realization that, yeah, I probably should have listened to that kid, and, you know, again, like, you know, act as if it was, like, a police kind of situation, and they were trying to get me busted, and I shouldn't have said anything, and, you know, you could just start seeing the steam coming out of her ears, and she was a black lady, and she was turning red, if you can imagine that. Like, she was, you know, her, her African-Americanness was disappearing and being overrun by redness at this point. I think at a certain point, you know, at, when she's going off on me, she refers to me, she's like, God damn it, God damn it, Justin, you keep getting into the shit. And I'm just like, wait a second, did she just, she just called me Justin. And I said to her, uh, actually, my, my name is Julian, Julian James. And she kind of like stops mid-freak out and says, your name is Julian? And I'm like, yes, that's, that's my name, all right. And then she's like, oh, you could, you could go back to your class. Unlike most 7th graders, I loved health class. I loved the nutrition unit. I loved measuring my thigh fat with the white pinching tools they would dispense at the end of class, propping my leg on a desk while a classmate tightened its pinchy grip. I loved cleaning the CPR dummy's lips with cotton swabs soaked in bleach before I would lean down to exhale my life into her. I love the detailed ink sketches of genitalia, so pornographically glowing on the projector screen. Health class was always so dramatic. Eating disorders, drowning victims, crabs. Through these very serious dialogues we were having with our health teachers, the suburb of St. Louis Park, Minnesota, must have decided that its junior high school was getting a bit of a lip. We had a swearing unit. This was probably the only unit which was not nearly as exciting as it sounded. What was called the swearing unit was actually a series of lessons in prudish, ridiculous language none of us would ever use in real life situations. Mrs. Hirschberger stood in front of the classroom in her matching sweat gear and attempted to teach us how to communicate. Let's say there's a bunch of kids and they're all teasing you. Let's say they're telling you your hair doesn't look very nice. 
What's a complete, constructive sentence you could say in response to these classmates of yours? God, how annoying. Junior high was full of busy work, and health class especially was known for its painful worksheets with bizarrely childish illustrations. For that unit, one night I took home a swearing worksheet. I had to interview my parents. Health class just loved crap like that. The next day we would share the wise words of our parents with the rest of the class. It was almost like adults were talking, only the words were coming out of the lips of 12 and 13 year olds who said everything sarcastically and as though it were especially retarded. Why shouldn't you use curse words? Mrs. Hirschberger called on several of my peers. One guy said because it hurt other people's feelings. Another said that it didn't communicate effectively. God, I thought, what crap. I couldn't take it anymore. My answer was clearly so much better than everyone else's. No wonder our teacher kept asking more kids. She wasn't finding the right response. I raised my hand eagerly, excited to show off how much more intelligent and cool my dad was over their parents. Annie, Mrs. Hirschberger sighed with relief. No one ever raised their hands in health class. What did your parents say about using curse words? My dad said that you shouldn't use them because when you really need them, they don't mean anything anymore. You shouldn't say them all the time because they lose their shock value. I was so proud and so excited about that answer. And Mrs. Hirschberger laughed in a forced, disapproving kind of way and made it very clear to the rest of the class that this was the least of our worries when it came to curse words. Well, shit, I thought. When I get angry, I almost never... First of all, I never get angry, but when I do get angry... It's rare that I show it, and when I do, when it's really important, I express my anger immediately and explosively. Never physically. Like I said, I've never hit anyone since then. But just immediately get the point across. This is important to me. You are messing with me. Stop it. Put that down. And because it happens so rarely, people listen. Today is Friday, and on Wednesday of this week, I managed to get a coworker of mine fired. She and I are both production assistants, which is the bottom rung of the film world. If you watch like the film credits of a television show, it's the very last thing listed after like caterer and sound guy and like sound guys' kids. Um, so production assistant, basically what you do is you're a bitch. You're, you're like a lot of people's bitch. They'll go say, hey, we need you to deliver this letter to the other side of New York fucking city and do it in 10 minutes. And then you have to run. So you're also called a runner. Uh, the other thing they'll have you do is they'll have you go buy 600 pounds of water 
a specific kind of water because stars like certain kinds of water. So it's, it's mostly crap work. So this is one of those days, Wednesday was, when this girl got fired. We started really early in the morning by picking up this 20-foot-long van, which is actually how most of our mornings start. We're driving around New York City in this like, huge bus of a thing. We were driving around, and about halfway through the day, she got called by our office, the production agency. And they said that last week, she had taken out something like $150 in petty cash that she'd never returned. And this girl starts freaking out. She didn't do that. Or rather, she did take the money out, but she returned it. She didn't have the money. She didn't have the money, and she didn't have any receipts, and she doesn't know what happened to it, but she didn't take it. And she was absolutely sure of this, and she told them that. And then when she hung up the phone with them, which, like, nothing was resolved at that point, she then spent the next probably eight hours going on and on and on to me about, let's see, okay, I was wearing my jeans that day, and they would have been in my left pocket, and then when I got home, I would have taken them out of my left pocket with my cell phone, I would have put them in the dish by my bed, and I know the dish by my bed is empty, so there's no way that, and so on and so forth, and that lasted like eight hours, which, to me, was extremely boring, oh my god, I'm getting angry just now, anyway... So that was a very boring day for me, and I just sat in the seat fantasizing that something horrible would happen to us that would take her mind off of this $150 or something, but that never came. And the production office kept calling and accusing her and trying to come up with more and more things they could throw at her, and it just got uglier and uglier and uglier until they were really, really angry. So we get back to the production office a few hours later after, I don't know, picking up like 10,000 pounds of like lead weights or something that they needed moved from one side of the city to the other. And they have us call them when we get there so that when we get there, they're waiting outside the van. So the first thing they have me do is they have me go on a run for trash bags or something, which they ask for in this way like, we don't even need them. Just go get some uh, trash bags. So I go off to look for trash bags and they get into the van with her. run into one of our bosses as he gets out of the van and he says something to me like I am never hiring this girl again. She's done for. And I was like, oh, oh. But I couldn't say that because, you know, I, I need my job too. So I was, I don't even think I said anything. I think I said like, here are your trash bags. Um, so I get back into the van with her and she's on the verge of tears. She's furious. She's saying all the things. She told me all the things that they said about her, all the things she said about them. And she said, I am never working for them again. I do not know what happened that money, but I am never doing this again. We drive a couple more blocks and she chants out everything that happened in the entire past week, word for word, until she realizes that she gave me the money to go on this huge elaborate coffee run that I had to go on right to get like 45 cups of coffee at Starbucks. She gave me all this money and I'd spent it or at least a big portion of it 
and then I'd pocket the rest of it, intending to give it back to them later, which I don't think I ever did. I'm pretty sure that I spent the rest of that money on beer later that night, not knowing that it wasn't my money. Um, which should have been suspicious to me at the time, because I didn't really have any money. So, once we realized that, I immediately called up the office and I told them, Hey, uh, you know, it turns out my mistake, I had the money, uh, no big deal, sorry about that, uh, I'll take care of it all, my mistake. To which they said, and I quote, Oh, great, now she's got you covering for her. Don't do this, Ben. I was like, I, I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not covering, it was, actually, it was actually my fault, I'm really, I'm really sorry. They're like, whatever, just tell her she's done. Which, of course, I didn't tell her. Instead, I just let her drive the van full of 10,000-pound weights from one side of the city to the other for her last time. We got to the video store, and she said, So, what do you want to watch? And I said, I don't know. What do you want to watch? And she said, I don't really care. Anything will do. And I said, Yeah, I'm not that picky either. Whatever you want is fine. And so we were going through the comedy aisle, and she picked up some Julia Roberts movie, and she said, How about this? And I said, Well, maybe, but let's keep looking. And she said, Why? What's wrong with it? And I said, Nothing, nothing, but we just got here. Let's look around a little bit more. And so she put it back, and then like about two seconds later, she picked up Sleepless in Seattle, and she said, have you seen this? And I said, uh, no, I don't think so. And I started to walk out of the comedy aisle. I heard her say, I've seen it, it's good, as I got over to the drama section. I started looking through a few titles and found a movie I liked. I was reading the back of the box when she joined me and said, I guess you don't want to see a comedy tonight. And I said kind of jokingly, well, comedy's fine. I guess I'm just not really in the mood to see one where everybody gets married in the end. And then she said kind of seriously, well, okay, but I don't really want to see one of those where everybody dies in the end either. And she went browsing around the aisle. I put the movie I was looking at back where I found it. Then I got an idea. Hey, I know a good one, and I went to find S and pulled out Shawshank Redemption. This is a really good one, I said. I think you'll like it. Oh, she said. Um, okay. I kept going. Really, it's good. I saw it over Jim's house, and it's great. And she said, you want to watch something you've already seen? And I said, I'd totally be into seeing it again, and I think you'd like it. And she said, well, um, okay. If you, if you really want to, we can get it. So I said, not in the mood for a serious one, huh? And she said, no, 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 we can get it. And I said, we can keep looking if you want. And she said, no, no, we can get that. And I said, nah, let's keep on looking. I looked at my watch. I had to be up early the next morning. She pulled out Hunt for Red October and said, have you seen this? And I said, I don't know. I don't remember seeing it. And she said, do you want to watch it? And I said, sure, that'll be fine. And she said, well, what do you mean by fine? And I said, well, that'd be fine. I wouldn't mind seeing that. And she said, well, what do you mean by you wouldn't mind? And I said, well, I mean, I'd be all right with seeing that. And she said a little louder, well, fine means fine. And it doesn't really mean you want to see it. So what you're saying is that you don't really want to see it. I interrupted and said as brightly as I could, hey, wait a second. Why don't we get one of those 60s musicals that you like? And she said, why? You don't like them. And I said, well, I'm not usually too into the stories, but, you know, they're really colorful and the choreography is interesting. And she said, but you don't like the stories. And I said, well, not usually, but they're still fun to watch because they're so melodramatic. And she said, so you want to get a movie that I like so you can laugh at it so you can make fun of me. Is that what you're saying? 
I stopped for a minute and took a deep breath, and then I smiled at her and said as gently as I could, Look, we might not be able to settle on something today, so why don't we go back and watch something we've already got at home? Honey, why don't we just watch something we've already got at home? Honey, baby, what's the matter? And she said, You don't love me anymore. And I said, Of course I do. And she said, No, you don't. And I said, Come on, what has this got to do with it? And she said, I don't know. And I said, Of course I still love you. And she said, No, you don't. And I said, I just don't want to argue tonight. And since we can't agree on a movie, I thought we should just watch something we've already got. And she said, You're yelling at me. Why are you yelling at me? Don't yell at me. I stopped again. And then I said, Look, please, I just really don't want to fight. She said, I don't want to fight either. And I said, let's get out of here. And she said, okay. And I said, okay. And she said, okay. And we left. We didn't really say anything on the way home, and we didn't say much while we were cooking dinner. We didn't really say much when we sat down with our plates on the couch. I was putting my feet up on the coffee table as she turned on the TV. An old rerun of Married with Children was on. The first time I swore out loud was a momentous event in my middle school life. It happened, unlike most things, in math class. I was the unpopular, awkward, skinny girl with sharp elbows and braces. My tormentor was the sporty class clown. We had assigned seats in those days, and to my chagrin, Leo was assigned to sit right behind me. Everyone says that they were unpopular in middle school, but I'd like to take a moment to emphasize how true this was for me. I had two friends in junior high, and one of them wore a swimsuit every day instead of underpants. I was her friend because I thought that maybe next to her, I looked pretty. I had very intense crushes that were never returned. I thought I breathed too loudly when I walked, clothing didn't fit me, and no one laughed at the things I said. I rarely said things. Math class, on the other hand, was a relief to me because I was good at it. Every test I got back was bursting with red ink smiley faces, 100%, exclamation points, and various hyperbolic statements of encouragement. Great job! You are terrific! Keep it up! My classmates noticed, and so our quiet work time was a social party for me. My peers would cluster around my desk for help. We talked about the Pythagorean theorem, how to get A from B, how to solve equations with two variables. Leo could say all he liked about my dumb cat barrettes and scraggly hair, but people actually looked up to me in math class. I was king of the cosine. Until one day... My test score wasn't so great. I thought I hit it in time. I was so embarrassed to even look at it, and I could tell that my teacher didn't want to give it to me. She folded the paper slightly with her index finger and pushed it face down onto my desk. I stared at that upside-down paper with a pang of dread and peeled it back quickly to evaluate the situation. Oh, God, I thought. Oh, God, oh, God. 
There were check marks, slashes, circles around answered I'd clearly just not thought out completely, things I should have gotten right, formulas I'd memorized over and over. Leo peered over my shoulder so that I could practically feel the grin on his face penetrating my t-shirt. Ha ha, he said. Annie got a B minus. Everyone looked up. In my mind, it was one of those movie moments where you could have heard a pin drop. But I can't believe that anyone actually cared that much. They were probably all looking at the clock and wondering when the bell would ring. They were probably thinking about their own scores. Who can say what they were thinking? It was middle school, and everything was enormous and important if it reflected upon us. And so to me, the room was silent, and everyone was shocked, and no one respected me anymore, and everything was lost. Ha ha. Annie got a B minus. I could have turned around to him and said, Leo, what you said is hurtful. I want to know why you would do that to me. I could have said, insults are not constructive. I could have continued to say nothing at all, as I had been doing for the past three years, and stared at my desk, my face hot with the effort of holding back tears. But I didn't do that this time. Something in me snapped, and I felt a surge of power. What if I didn't just take it? What would happen if I fought back? I turned, and I looked Leo square in the eyes, and I said, Shut the fuck up, Leo. Leo's face fell. His grin was gone. He looked down, and he didn't say anything. I turned back around as if nothing had happened and put my test back into my bag. And when class was over, we didn't speak, and I continued on to my next class. As if nothing had just changed inside of me. That's it for this episode of Love and Radio. The show is produced and edited by Adrian Mathewitz and myself, Nick Vanderkolk. The first part of the show about Tim Hortons featured Adam Allington. Adam was recorded and edited by producer Carrie Seed. After that, we heard from Julian James, who spoke to us on the phone from Oakland, California. We also heard two stories about swearing in middle school from Adrian, or Annie, as she was called back then. The guy who got his coworker fired is Ben Popic of Old English. Hopefully his boss is not listening to this right now. And the one who recommended having rare but explosive outbursts is known only to us as Shig the Unmentionable. And finally, the video rental story was called Conversation and is part of the Tales of Mere Existence series by Lev. To fully appreciate that story, you must see the amazing cartooning skills of Lev that go along with it. Check out the original version as well as many other stories, including one about sucking off a pickle. Lev's website is ingredientx.com. For playlists of the music we use on our show, plus guaranteed good times, visit our website at loveandradio.org. And of course, we love hearing from you. Drop us a line at contact at loveandradio.org. 